Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, November 30th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. 
I can then turn on the microphone and announce it by your area code. And we are grateful whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with the have this work is to be a service. And if you are not on the call live or do not prefer to call in live, you can email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we get a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial from you, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we were able to do that so you can listen back to the archive for the feedback or comments and um, just take advantage of that tool, of the archives, because we've been working at this show now for close to 13 years. It'll be 13 years at the end of We'll finish our 13th year at the end of September, or January. And um, almost all those shows are available in the archives. There have been occasional glitches where the show technology didn't allow us to have a show. And there have been some occasional glitches where it didn't record properly. But for the most part, the shows are there. And as they are maintained, both on the uh, Blog Talk radio site and then Michael and Jeannie in their efforts to maintain the website, they provide a very valuable resource that we hope you take advantage of. So we have plenty of time for comments and questions today. How can we support you? What's on your mind? What would be of most benefit for you to spend this next hour in our first hour today and um, and or how's it landing for you to be listening to the way of mastery again with commentary and um, and or what portions of the way of mastery are resonating differently for you than they might have been in 2022 when we went through the entire 35 lessons with commentary and detail and repetition and um, today is a Thursday so we will have a support group available tonight all the information you might need to join us is available at the mindshiftersacademy.org website if you choose to go there and or if you choose to direct somebody else to go there, please remember that there is a separate information login page for Tuesday and a separate one for Thursday as the IDs are different. Those support groups run from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and we'd be happy to have you join us. It's absolutely free, although if you have the money and choose to donate, you can. And I've shared a few items lately from the 
the fruits of that labor. One of them was the uh, the article by Erica Vega titled "Joy in Disguise," and um, some of the other fruits are contained in the testimonials that people give, which. For the most part, you need to be participating in the group to hear those. Occasionally, someone will say, well, yeah, I'll call the Internet show and give a testimonial. But most of the powerful testimonials about the benefits people are achieving from participating in that community, they just come up as a flow of conversation in the support group itself. So... So unless you're participating in the group, you pretty much have to take somebody's word for it that it's a powerful and effective process for facilitating change and building community and helping individuals develop and then strengthen their skills with these tools. And... um, And I'm happy to be able to say that that's that's been quite evident lately with what people have been reporting. And um, I think I mentioned yesterday that in the Tuesday night group we had two different people give powerful testimonials. And um, since I, the intention we have with this work is to be of service, that you know brings a little joy up for me because that's clearly it's been a benefit it has been helpful to people so again the call in number is 563-999-3581 and in lieu of someone raising a hand I will return to the reading the review and reading with commentary of Lesson 3. And we left off last time with Lesson 3 reminding us that you've been given time so that you might use it wisely. What's a wise use of time? Well, this book says to use time wisely, you need to wake up and realize that every day, every morning when you awaken, you are in the school. You are being presented with the life events and challenges and successes that are your pathway home. You don't have to drive anywhere. You're already there. You don't have to go to the Himalayas and find a guru. You don't even have to read a whole bunch of books. The life events, as they unfold in your day, especially after you have made the declaration that you want 
to grow, that you want to be more loving, that you want to remember your true nature, that you want to find God, whatever the phrase is you use, the text says the universe then is literally helping to assist you in having the experiences that will bring things up for you, not to punish you, not to aggravate you, not to just pick on you, but to bring them up for you so that you can choose to look at them differently. And thereby, you discover the great power within you, the freedom within you to choose what you want to perceive and to elicit only what you want to feel. So that even if nails are being driven into the hands, you finally are liberated in the power to choose love. And therefore, to overcome this world. You can literally be, as Roger McGowan is, in a prison for over 20 years, I think it was 26 years on death row, for something he didn't do, and you can choose for love. Roger McGowan chose to become a, a student of spirituality and love and, and is now a spiritual teacher to hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And to my way of thinking, that's exactly what the way of mastery is talking about here when it says overcoming this world. He didn't get whisked away out of death row or out of the prison to some wonderful home on the countryside or some penthouse suite with people waiting on him. He's still in the prison. And for years he was still in the death row where he was getting actively abused by the guards on a regular basis, if not daily. And he still refused to choose for hate. He chose for love. So then the text here goes on and says, Having said this, please understand that each of your days is a blessing and a gift if, if you use it from the full commitment to awakening. Once you decide to use this day as a, from your full commitment to awakening, your day will be chock full of a million opportunities to discover a deeper truth. So therefore, never feel that the purpose of your, your life must be something other than what you're involved in. For remember what we spoke of earlier, and here's a quote, you are literally creating everything you choose and nothing is forced upon you, close quotes. The text goes on and says, now we're going to take that thought just a little deeper for a moment. It literally means that if you've decided you want to awaken, you have already called to yourself every experience that can truly best serve your awakening. The friends, family, and people you have relationship with These are the people who likewise can best gain from the experiences elicited through relationship with you. It means that right here and right now, you are already demonstrating the power that you're seeking. That is the power to truly choose to awaken and to command the whole of creation 
to serve you in that awakening. Therefore, when you awaken in each of your mornings, look around. Who is that person sleeping next to you? They are your perfect companion. They are a messenger of the Creator. For just behind your experiences, there is something deeper taking place. That is because your mind, your soul, your spirit, your capital S self, is resting right next to the mind of the Creator. And it was resting there when you first said, as a soul, as a consciousness, I want to awaken. I want to go home. In that moment, the Creator answered your prayer and began to send the thought, the, the power of the Creator's force of thought, the creative life force itself, sent it out through your spirit and through your soul, perhaps so that it could niggle at your conscious mind. And here's the thought, quote, I know how to direct you home. So here, give up this career and start that one. Move from this location to that location. Close quotes. The text goes on and says, after you asked to come home, to awaken, to have enlightenment, you began to feel all manner of impulses. You began to read different books. You began to do different things. You met someone and fell in love. Do you really think all this happened by accident? Hardly. The very thought that you could claim as your own from which you have created the world of your own personal experience is also literally the result of your prayer to awaken. Every thought that you would claim as your own is the creation, the creator, the mind of the creator, the Christ mind, planting those thoughts in you to lead you home. It is the product of your asking for help to get home. The very thought that you would claim as your own. And those thoughts have been what has created your world of experience your personal world of experience. And yet, those thoughts didn't start in your mind. They started in the Creator's mind. They started in the Christ's mind. They started with the Holy Spirit directing you to have those thoughts, those urges, to make those choices. The text reads, And the Father is creating and assisting you to create just those experiences as stepping stones that carry you from where you believe you are to where the creation is. The result is that your ordinary daily life, we now know is not very ordinary, is the most perfect teaching school or ashram you could ever be within. 
It is the holy city to which it is wise to make the pilgrimage every day. What does that mean? It means to bring awareness and commitment to exactly what you are experiencing each and every day, each and every moment of every day. And once you bring your awareness and commitment to exactly what you're experiencing, choose gratitude for it. Choose to bless it. Choose to embrace it. Choose to be vigilant and mindful. Choose to ask, quote, what is this moment teaching me, close quotes. Having given that as background and foundation, remember, please remember that you do not experience anything that could truly be called a, quote, ordinary moment, close quotes. In each and every moment, extraordinary things are occurring. Extraordinary things are occurring in which the whole of the universe is conspiring, which means to breathe together. The universe is conspiring with you to awaken you and to heal you. The invitation is to trust it and to love it. That these things are true, and I assure you that they are, means that your life, the very life you are living, is equal in power and majesty and effectiveness to any life that has ever been lived. It means that your very life is equal to the one that Yeshua lived. For it is bringing you home as Yeshua's life was his pathway home. Now, to build on what I shared earlier, the third axiom or principle could be encapsulated this way. I do not live any ordinary moments. With each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones laid before me of the Creator to guide me home. Third axiom, I do not live any ordinary moments. With each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones laid before me of the Creator to guide me home. And furthermore, I will choose to bring awareness to each moment and allow it to teach me how to forgive, which means to dismantle judgments and false perceptions. I will allow it to teach me how to embrace and how to love and therefore how to live fully. I will let each moment teach me how to dismantle my perceptions, embrace whatever's happening, extend love, and therefore live fully. Third axiom. The text then reads, In your ordinary moments, a thousand times each day, you will be confronted by opportunities to be disturbed. And in that very moment, you're being given the blessing of the opportunity to choose peace. 
the blessing of the opportunity to remember to cultivate a perception of your brother or sister that is birthed out of the Christ mind, not the egoic mind. So this forgiveness process, then, this dismantling of every egoic perception can be practiced diligently. And you will not need to look too far. You'll not need to make a pilgrimage to some far city. You do not need to go sit in a cave in the mountain somewhere to discover the way to the Creator. It is all around you. Because you can only be where you have decreed to be. You have decreed to be there because you, as a soul, truly want nothing more than to awaken. Your life, just as it is unfolding, moment to moment, is meant for you. Now, as I say that, I flash on 20 maybe maybe early 30-year-old gentleman that I was in a session with yesterday. And it's so wonderful and powerful to see somebody that young tapping into a thought like this. And the awareness that every life has challenges. Every time I look at my situation and compare it to somebody else's, it creates discord and upset it doesn't heal anything it doesn't take me closer to where I want to be it takes me to the other end of the universe from where I want to be when I judge that person's got it better than me etc he was already at maybe 30 years old living into the realization that his life just as it's unfolding is what's best for him And this is in a powerful, very practical way. He's talking about a truck he owns that's almost 20 years old that he likes to work on. And he had to miss a session because the truck needed to work. It was not drivable. And then he started talking about how he's got a friend that he works with that's about the same age who's already married and he married a woman and they've been saving their money since high school and they both have good jobs. And this guy is driving a truck for you know $90,000 truck. And he's constantly taking it to repair shops and getting insurance quotes because he bumped into something or put a little scratch here or and what this other person does mostly is talk about a truck. Whereas my patient's got a lot more going on in his life that for him leaves him feeling much more balanced. And he's able to say, you know, I used to think I wanted a truck like that. I used to think I something was wrong with me that people my age had more money to spend on big vehicles and big houses. And he said, I've come to realize it just doesn't work that way. That I'm doing what I want to do with my money. That I'm spending my time doing things I prefer to do. And it doesn't really matter what somebody else thinks or what 
more somebody else has. And just to hear the relaxed tone in his voice and feel, see the, 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 the gentle smile on his face would tell you he, he really is relaxing into this from a position of negativity and judgment and being hard on himself. And it's just about a shift of focus. It's about a shift of interpretation. It's about accepting what is and asking how can this moment of life teach me teach me the truth of itself teach me how to extend love teach me how to live more fully so the text goes on and says if this is true that your life just as it is unfolding moment to moment is meant for you if this is true and I assure you that it is the way to your creator can only be found in your willingness to embrace and live fully the very life that is within you and that unfolds through you in each moment. To live without fear, to go forward, to indeed trust and embrace the very power and majesty that is the seed, it is the soil, it is the ground from which your life's experience is unfolding. Your life experience, moment to moment, is precious, it is extraordinary, it is blessed, and it is given to you of the Creator. Knowing this, would you not embrace the blessing of your life? Choose to value it and sanctify it to keep it holy? And to recognize that your life is worthy of your respect. It does not matter what anybody else thinks. It does matter what you think, what what thoughts you choose to value. Earlier on when I was reading this, I was thinking about how clearly but subtly at times it's woven through this work that says, you know, you're going to have these thoughts. You're going to have anger. You're going to have these negative thoughts. But stop fooling yourself into thinking that they're justified. And it talks about how all minds are joined. And it talks about how you can't have a thought that isn't shared by everybody else. And you can't see something in one of your brothers and sisters that isn't something you you already know about, whether it's a murderous thought or a greedy thought, or a raging thought, or a griefful thought. And it came to me, you know, that that with these commentaries, there's time for us to slow down and recognize that just because a thought goes through my mind doesn't really mean it's going to have any big impact on me. Because I can have countless thoughts flowing. It's the ones I choose to believe or choose to give value to or choose to react in fear of. Those are the ones that generate 
more of an impact in my life. And why would that be? Because where I choose to focus my mind energy is a creative force. So if I'm driving down the highway and I'm having a rough time in life and I have the thought, gee, maybe if I'd be better off if I just drove into this abutment and, and then I, I, I notice that thought and I go, wow, that's a weird negative thought, and I just let it go, no big impact on my life. I could choose to use that, especially if it comes up on more than one occasion, as information that, hey, Tim, you might have a lot more disturbance going on at deeper levels than you're paying attention to. Maybe it's a good idea to do some more worksheets. Maybe it's a good idea to go talk to a therapist. Maybe it's a good idea to change this job from you know, this environment that you, you experience it as abusive. And yet, the thought running through my mind, oh, there's a concrete abutment, I'd be better off if I ran into it, has no power over me that I don't give it. By valuing it, by focusing on it, by trying to run from it in fear, by trying to deny that it was there, now I'm adding energy to it if I do any of those things. Dr. Michael Rice, when he talks, sometimes he he'll, he'll say a thought that's you know a negative thought, and he'll say cancel the thought. And I know people that do that cancel the thought process. It's they, it's sprinkled all throughout their speech. I also know people who just say it as a casual thing because they don't want to attach too much energy to that thought. They don't want to deny it. They want to recognize that it was there. They want to understand that it's speaking of something that's negative, and they want to just make sure they don't focus on it and cancel it. I know other people who, when they hear themselves say something like that, and they say, cancel the thought, then they go into a two-minute prayer as though there's something needed, like there might be a demon here that they have to ward off, or there's some land slippery slope they're going to go down just because they that thought went through their mind or it slipped out of their mouth. And bless their hearts, this kind of teaching would say, okay, let not seriousness enter the mind. Don't get yourself all freaked out about negative thoughts that move through your mind. Let them go see them as innocent and completely self-caused. It's a-okay. Your essence is not in danger. You remain as you were created to be. And you can choose to embrace the blessing of your life and sanctify it and recognize that your life, your very life, is worthy of your respect. And this can be true regardless of the people around you who may judge it otherwise. It matters what you think and what you value and what you pour your mind energy into and what you sanctify and what you have reverence for. All these different ways of saying you focusing your mind energy in a concentrated way. 
So the text then goes on and says, Beloved friends, your life, your life, your very life is your way home. So think about it. If that's my way home and I don't live it fully, how can I ever arrive at home? The next statement is, therefore, fear not your greatness. Fear not the power that comes from embracing your life and claiming its value. Live it full out with every bit of passion you can muster. Embrace every second of it. Every time you wash your dish and your cup after breakfast, look at these things and say, oh my God, this is my life. This is my pathway home. I'm going to live it. Precious friends, in this way, you will come to forgive yourself of the judgments you have made. In other words, you will dismantle the judgments. You'll put them down. You'll cancel the perceptions that have arisen from those judgments. And you won't beat yourself up about it. You'll do it with a laugh, with a chuckle. Wow, look at all the years I've spent. Literally earlier this morning, I was in a session with a 26-year-old who is in the middle of beating himself up because he's wasted so much time in his life. Because something happened when he was 10 or 11, and he judges himself negatively for it. And now, he's in therapy, and he's actively looking at this for the first time, and he He's 26. And he's, he's carrying the shame and the guilt and the negative judgment against himself that you might expect of somebody who's 56 or 76 who feels like they've wasted their whole life. And even that person at 76 has not wasted their life. Their life as they lived it is their pathway home. It is that way even before I wake up even before I consciously recognize it. And so what happens if I wake up and realize, oh my gosh, I just spent the last six months or the last ten years beating myself up over something that's silly. Now I've got an option. From today moving forward, I can beat myself up even more about the last ten years I wasted and generate negativity and upset and resentment and bitterness and anger at myself, or I can say, oh, I can look on these things as innocent and purely self-caused and say, oh, I didn't really like the way I felt the last 10 years beating myself up. I wonder what it would feel like to drop all of that, to question all of those old negative beliefs and conclusions, to invite life to teach me about the sanctity of my own experience. About how my very life experience, even during these last 10 years of beating myself up, is worthy of respect. The text goes on and says, For who among you has not known the feeling of saying, Oh my God, my life is just not worth very much. Will I never be like so-and-so down the street? Will I ever have enough money? Will enough people ever get to know me? 
will my work ever get out as big as that other person's work? And on and on and on. But I say unto you, every time you've judged yourself, you have weakened yourself. Every time you've judged yourself or another, you have slipped down the mountain another notch. And your desire is to be at the summit. So, when you catch yourself judging, chuckle at it and say, oh, there's that energy. I've practiced that a lot in my life. Oh, you know, it's pretty much the same as the option we have. I'm going to go way out on a limb and assume that most of the people that are listening to this Internet show are old enough to drive, actually have licenses and drive and And being of a certain age, I'm going to go way out on a limb and say everybody who's listening to this has had a time when they were driving and they realized they missed a turn. Or they turned on Appleby Lane instead of Appleby Road or Street. And they've been driving in the wrong direction for a while. What this is saying is we have the same opportunity when we wake up and realize something's been off target in our lives as we have when we're driving a car. Some people who realize they're heading the wrong way fly into a rage. I have a vivid memory that just popped into my mind when I was 22, 23 years old. And I was heading out to California and I was had two other people in the car and they both fell asleep and I was unfamiliar with the territory and I took a wrong turn and I was waiting I was on the highway and I was waiting for a good opportunity to turn around because I knew I was heading south when I wanted to be going west when my one of the car companions woke up in a rage when she recognized that the sun was on her right and we should be heading into the sun. And it was like a five or ten minute rage out. Now you're going to say, well, it's because she was, you know, just waking up or that she was, but it doesn't matter. She chose rage in that moment. And the rage didn't help us get where we're going any sooner. It didn't help us figure out where's the best exit to turn around. It was completely unnecessary, but it's a choice she made. I didn't choose that. At that moment, my life experiences had led me to know it's okay. I'll just turn around. I'll get there from another road. I'll The same choice we have when we wake up and realize, oh, I've been believing my life is worthless, but I can choose again. I can choose to embrace my life with reverence. I can sanctify it to keep it holy. I can recognize that my life is worthy of respect. I can ask to be shown in each moment how life can teach me more about how this is my pathway home. 
I can recognize the energy of judgment. And I can see the connection between judgment and how it's a disruptive force in my very mind-body energy system, how it helps create a false perception that distracts me from the love of the creation unfolding in, through, as, and around me in each moment. And I don't have to keep pouring my mind energy into that judgment. I can recognize it. I can look at it innocently and it is simply self-caused and choose again. The next section is titled, How Forgiveness Heals. And again, the definition of forgiveness in this work is to dismantle perceptions, to ask to be shown to drop judgment, to dismantle perceptions, to ask to be shown the truth of life as a shimmering radiance, the truth of the creative energy expressing in, through, as, and around you and everyone you see. So the text reads, Understanding these things, let us look more closely at this process of forgiveness or dismantling. How does it work? What really occurs when you forgive or dismantle a judgment or a perception? You are a conduit of energy. And to the degree that the conduit is in perfect working order, the energy can flow so radiantly that the conduit actually becomes transparent. That is, the conduit no longer blocks the flow of that energy. And there is no barrier or limit to the light. However, when you judge... It is as though you contracted and you made the walls of the conduit smaller, just like building up of rust in your pipes. As that happens, the flow becomes less and less. And as you forgive judgments, as you dismantle them and the perceptions that were created through the lens of that judgment, it is as though the rust in the pipes are dissolving is dissolving. It is as though the walls of the pipe that are carrying the liquid of the Creator's love begin to expand and they become thinner and thinner and more transparent. Judgment is contraction, tension, resistance. Forgiveness is relaxation, peace, trust, and faith. Forgiveness, dismantling judgments, dropping false perceptions, allows the spaciousness within your consciousness to grow. For when you look upon the thief that has broken into your home and you say, I dismantle my judgments against you. I dismantle the thought of you as anything other than the love of the face of Christ looking at me. I forgive you my perceptions of you. When you do that, you're decreeing the opposite of what you've learned. You are decreeing that nothing can be taken from you that has any value. You're decreeing that judgment is the opposite of what you want, you're decreeing that it will cause you to feel the opposite of how you want to feel. And you are decreeing your power to perceive 
differently. You are, therefore, healing yourself. If you ever want to come home, you're going to have to become very, very divinely selfish or self-wise. You're going to have to become so self-wise that you will not tolerate judgment in yourself of anyone or anything. Because you will begin to recognize that every such act catapults you to the other side of the universe from where you want to be. Judgment causes the very cellular structure to break down. If you could see this, you would never judge again. When you judge, even the cells of your body go crazy. They vibrate in a completely dissonant way. There is contraction, and the fluids do not move through the cells. The nutrients do not become transported or delivered to the cells. The waste matter is not properly processed. Everything gets clogged up, and there is dis-ease. Therefore, beloved friends, understand, understand it well, that judgment is not something to take lightly. Should you then judge yourself if you've noticed you've been in judgment? No, because this is that cycle of negativity and spiral and judgment and negativity. Only love can break that cycle. Only allowance, acceptance, surrender, embracing, trusting in your perfect safety and in the innocence of everything you've ever done, only that can heal. Therefore, when you realize that you've judged, simply say, ah, yes, that's that energy. I recognize that cloud that has just passed through the sky of my awareness. But I can choose again. Breathing, softening, allowing at the first sign of upset and tension, whether it's mental Emotional, physical, breathing, softening, allowing, refusing to take yourself too seriously, understanding that nothing that has ever happened that you've ever sought, saw, seen, felt, said, or done has ever changed or decreased your value as a person. as this work has called us to, to begin to recognize all of it as innocent and simply self-caused. All events are neutral. I've made mistakes in the past. I wake up to the idea that it was a mistake. I make a change in how I look at it. I make a change in what I'm willing to do next. I make a change in how I interpret myself for having done it. I soften. I breathe. I restore my awareness to my true nature as this miracle of life expressing in form and I move on. I question all of the negative thoughts and judgments and conclusions that I've been trained into. I allow myself to breathe and soften. Something there just in my in my mind just went to the ancient Aramaic definition of the word faith, which is to act 
from the rooted center of my being. When I've heard Dale Allen Hoffman talk about this, I've come to the summary that says this faith is meant to be the idea that with each breath, before every action, I tap into my true nature as love. I get rooted, grounded in that awareness. And then I take an action based on that awareness, based on what that presence, that energy would move me to do or inspire me to do. And if I'm not being inspired from that energy or the Holy Spirit or the Christ mind, I don't do. I just be. And I allow myself to be in observation and to be in questioning and let the truth of what I'm observing and what I'm experiencing act on me. And if I'm waiting until I feel moved to act from this fundamental observation of my connection to all life and this what this this work says over and over again the truth that is true always which is that you remain as you were created to be if I wait until I tap into that awareness and wait until after I've been tapped into that awareness, now I'm having an inspiration to act in a certain way, to say or do something, my life's going to start improving by leaps and bounds. I'm, I'm going to make a, a lot less statements and actions that I later regret. Because I'm going to be acting from, as Dr. Michael Rice would say, the when he does his workshops, the left side of the board is a list of words associated with the energy of love and creation and your true nature. And I'm acting from those energies, love, compassion, gratitude, appreciation, faith from the ancient Aramaic, is the idea that I don't act until I've reconnected with my true nature as this flow of life, as this consciousness that remains as it was created to be. And then I do act. I let life compel me, inspire me. You know, we have a lot of people that when they get introduced to these ideas, they they get the thought that, well, so I'm supposed to just sit around like a bump on a log and I'm not supposed to intervene if, you know, my anger is what gets me active. My anger is how I, I stepped in and I protected this person from being abused. It, it, it's possible that you can act from your anger. It's even possible sometimes that you will look back on what you did from your anger and think, oh, that was a good thing. You know, it, it motivated me to step in here and break up this fight or whatever. That's possible. And yet, over time, those of us who observe this understand most of the time when we act from irritability and anger and judgment, we regret what we did. And or even if there's some good that came from it, there's some complicating factors or levels that got introduced that weren't really needed. I think I've mentioned that, you know, I spent quite a few years in my career 
as a young, strong, strapping, muscular psychologist, therapist, juvenile hall worker, you know, hospital attendant, etc. And throughout that time, occasionally I would be in in bars at parties and dancing, and and there'd be a fight. I would break up the fight, whether it was on the work site or out at a party or a bar, I never once had anger when I was breaking up a fight. And I never once went into a situation thinking, oh, I'm going to look for a fight and then break it up. So I'll be, every time it happened, I was just in a situation and some aggression broke out near me and I just had this, you know, like a shot of lightning up my spine and I would just take action. And I've never been hurt in those moments where I just moved with the flow and the inspiration and took action, whether it was breaking up a fight or, you know, restraining someone in one of the various work situations that I was employed in over the years in 24-hour facilities. So my life experience tells me the same as what these spiritual teachings are telling me. My anger is never justified, and it is not as useful as acting from the rooted center of my being and the awareness of my true nature as love. And that's our invitation. Step into questioning. Step into asking to be shown. Step into your greatness. Step into respecting and having reverence for your very life, whatever it is. And um, we're grateful that you're here. Quick reminder that there is a support group tonight from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it. I like the examples you gave. It's perfect. Well, glad you liked it. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Thursday, November the 30th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. Put a little hand up, and I know that you want to talk, not just listen. And we would uh, welcome your questions and comments because it makes it your show. And we are here to support you. You know, the show is not about us doing a monologue. We pass on the information we have, and we hope you take the tools and use them, put them to work in your life. We, you know, often say, don't believe a word we say. But if you take the tools and use them, you will see that it works. And... Uh, we welcome you as we're moving into December. Holidays coming up quickly. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we're here to support you. You know, a, a lot of times during the holidays, it's when a lot of people feel the most stress. <coughs> yeah, I got a tickle in my Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you so I can take a drink of water. <coughs> okay. I'll take it. Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. 
that we get to move forward one more time with this intriguing conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness and all of the corollary materials that go with it from what you eat to how you think to what you do with your physiology to what you do with your the way you drink water uh, we're, we're, we're going to cover the whole gamut in fact if you look at that word that the churches have co-opted and they call it holy you'd think it had something to do with being pious and being down on your knees with your hands folded but actually it has to do with understanding the whole energy system in which you live, move, and have your being and how to function out of that energy system. Now, most of the world functions out of perception. And so perception brings questions that are irrelevant to what needs to be done, but keep us off track, keep us in another arena other than the one that we need to be working in. And so the reason we've been engaging or we've engaged this conversation five days a week, at least an hour a day for the last 12 years, is to create the space for a different conversation, to create the space for a different way of thinking, a different set of words. By the way, uh, if anyone happens to know Robert Tennyson Stevenson, he's someone that, uh, oh, I met about 43 or 44 years ago up in uh, Michigan when I was traveling and teaching up there. And he just passed uh, yesterday, I guess it was, or a couple of days ago. I just heard about it. And so if anybody knew Robert, he was an amazing gentleman who worked with, he, he did some of the forgiveness work way back when I, he had a center actually in Michigan and I spoke there several times. And uh, so he did some of this work, but he really picked up on and went with words. So he was a real advocate for conscious language and I did some really great work. So just invite everybody to uh, hold the space for Robert and his family as he moves on to the next level of his experience as an eternal being, and we hold the space for him. Robert, we appreciate the being that you are, the contributions you made to our world, to our society, and we extend our love in your direction. And beyond that, uh, we want to get to conscious language. We want to look at, you know, there's a, a principle that we talk about in our Laws of Living course called regulatory speech. And regulatory speech, we haven't talked about that, about that for a while in the class. We actually will sometimes refer to it as regulatory peaches in honor of a little guy who back 20 years ago was at Heartland with his mom. He was about three. His name was Orion. And he was in a, a class with his mom on laws of living. And uh, we spend quite a bit of time talking about regulatory speech or Ryan was about three, and he would lay on the blanket and sleep beside his mom during the class. She had a blanket on the floor for him. And one day we finished uh, class, and someone went to the kitchen. It was peach season and had uh, gone in and brought out a big clear crystal bowl of peaches for a snack. And little Ryan, rubbing his eyes, oh, just awakening as people are starting to move around for the intermission, looks up and sees those peaches on the uh, on the, the uh, food bar. 
and in a voice, of course, plenty loud enough for everybody to hear, but was a whisper to his mom. He says, Mom, are those regulatory peaches? So in honor of him, we, we still off occasionally will call it regulatory peach or peaches. But regulatory speech literally is the energetic pattern with which, which is a reflection of your mind energy, of your thoughts, and which organizes your physiology, literally, on a cellular level. You know, do some, some research on cymatics. Go to YouTube University and type in the word cymatics and look at some of those videos and watch what sound does to structure. And then realize that literally the frequencies you engage in with your voice are the sounds that organize and either bring ease and wholeness and well-being to your physiology or create disturbance and destruction within your physiology. Something to be aware of. So regulatory speech organizes the way you feel, sets up the way you feel. The speech you use resonates. You know, if we uh, go to the opening words in the book of John, we're told by the Greeks that uh, those words are, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. And they equate the word, their word, <laughs> as being Yeshua. And it's totally completely false in the original Aramaic. In fact, what it says is, in the beginning was the mind energy. Or, another proper translation for the word there, is in the beginning was the willed action. And the mind energy, or the willed action, became flesh. Now, if we come 2,000 years forward into the cell biologist laboratory with Bruce Lipton, you can look it up and he'll share with you what happens when you think a thought, when you engage in mind energy. And what he's shown as a cell biologist in the laboratory is that that thought appears in your physiology as a molecule, a neuropeptide. And that neuropeptide circulates around in your structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, lands on that cell, and when it lands, if you were inside of the cell watching the inlet for that particular antenna, literal receptor site, what you would see coming into the cell would be what we would call chemistry. Now, of course, it's all energy, but that's how we would delineate it with our minds. Mind energy literally becoming flesh, speech becoming physiology. Regulatory speech sets it up and organizes it all and also sets in motion frequencies that attract to us what ends up happening in our worlds. And it's a really powerful statement. Creatorship really speaks to you as a, and, and informs you of the ability you have to create. And so what we engage in in the way of speech is what literally ultimately produces or destroys, supports, or weakens physiology. So in the beginning was the mind energy, the mind energy became flesh. And today we have come so far away as humans from truth. The use of language, if you look at the meanings of so many words in Aramaic that are much closer to 
our root energetic patterns. In fact, it's interesting that, you know, every language on the planet, except for one, is based in the minds of men. One language is rooted in and based in the physics of the world. That language is Aramaic. If you were to be able to do a 3D shadow of the table of the elements, of each of the elements, what you would find is that the Aramaic alphabet is a 3D shadow of the atomic elements in the periodic table of the elements. So it's based in the actual world of physics, physiology. Now, you could say, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did the element come first or did the word come first? Well, somebody tells us that the word came first, which, again, it isn't word, but mind energy. Words reflect mind energy. If you take the word that describes a human life properly understood, that word would be love. Now, you'll notice how far away are we from using the word love to describe human life? A long, long ways. The word love is often used to describe self-sacrifice. Oh, I'll put my head on the chopping block. Go ahead and cut it off, and that will prove that I love you. I love you so much I would die for you. Would you live for me instead, please? Really, we don't need to be dying for each other. If you've ever held a newborn child and you tap into the energy of that newborn, the descriptor that you'll use, at least I say this from the experience of Jeannie and I presenting this question to tens of tens of thousands of people over the years, and if you describe the energy of the newborn, you'll find that it is love. And if you tap into the love that that newborn is, and I ask you the question, is the newborn loving you? Or is the newborn love? You're going to have to say that, no, the newborn is not loving me. The newborn is love. It is the fact of human existence. And what we're looking to do with this work is restore to every mind, heart, and being on the planet the fact of human existence. Not sexual athletics, not self-sacrifice, not being willing to be beat up and, and give yourself away for your love, but rather the fact that the presence of your essential nature in your physiology is the presence of love. Now, if you come from a culture and a family system that from day one has described you only in those terms and supported that in you, then you have a proper language. If that's not where you've come from, then your language is garbage relative to the language it takes to support human life. You know, you just listen. Turn on the TV. You know, we've, we have a little test you can run to determine whether or not that's true and how brainwashed we are by the world. I'm going to invite you to do this test. Take out an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. Draw a one-inch margin, or there probably is already a margin, down the left-hand side. It's about an inch. And at the top of that margin, put the word love. 
And then on the top of the other side of the line, put the words hostility and fear. Turn on your TV. And don't spend any more than a max of three minutes on any station. Just flip around from station to station. So when you arrive, you land on a station, you start listening. And every time that you hear a word that's actually based in that presence of human life, truly the presence of active love, put a check mark on the left side of the, uh, of the line, that little one-inch column over on the left. And every time you hear a word based in hostility or fear, put a check mark on the right side of the line that, you know, what is it, an eight and a half, so seven and a half inch space on the right-hand side of the line. And I guarantee you'll fill every square inch of the right-hand side of the page, seven and a half by 11, long before you'll fill the left-hand one-inch column by 11 inches. That's the brainwash of the world. We've been brainwashed. And one of the reasons for carrying on this conversation for the last 12 years or why we're committed to that is because we want to create a space where people have the opportunity to engage in language reflecting love and to have the tools with which to remove from the structure the experiences that are not based in human life, the experience based in hostility and fear. You remember in the ancient scriptures they said, do not be molded by the world or you will end up moldy. Well, that's not exactly the way they said it, but in essence, that's the bottom line. If you allow the energetic patterns of hostility or fear that run most of the cultures of the world, I mean, listen to the, the violence, the viciousness, the insanity that's going on in our culture. Look at the divisions and notice the divisions are all based in words, producing thoughts, producing realities of conflict. The work of forgiveness is to go in and to remove those conflicting energies, restore the energetic patterns that will support physiologically in you functioning as the active presence of love in your own body-mind unit. And so why a 12-year conversation? Because it takes that kind of time and more to shift out of the brainwashed hostility and fear-based thought systems that are embedded in us as a result of generations and generations and generations of hostility and fear. So we're looking to restore the language based in experiencing ourselves, not the mamby-pamby world's definition of love, sexual athletics, whatever, but rather just to restore the experience of yourself as the presence of love. And it takes a changing of the whole regulatory speech system to do that. People hear about forgiveness. Oh, I can let go of all the hostility and fear in my life. Great. I love that idea. I got five bucks in five minutes. Tell me everything you know. 
Well, there's nothing I can tell you for five bucks in five minutes that's going to change the massive multi-generational database in your mind called your regulatory speech system. Not going to happen. It's going to take an ongoing, consistent, persistent effort and work, consciously, purposely functioning as, speaking as, speaking out of the presence of love, and then recognizing when stored within your genes or within your memory bank, there is hostility or fear that you confront that hostility or fear and you forgive it. Forgiveness is one of the words that's been shattered by our culture. In its origins, the word forgive describes a tool with which you go inside your own mind and remove the underlying speech, the underlying energetic dynamics of hostility and fear to free you, yourself from those dynamics. And the only way you get free of those dynamics is to do the work. Now, everybody wants it done yesterday. You'll remember once again in those ancient scriptures they said, you can't storm the gates. You can't go in base and take all the baggage of generations and generations and generations of suffering and pain and trauma and hatred and vengeance and sadness and grief. You, you can't. You just can't walk away with that. So this body of work is about shifting your whole energy system and empowering you or creating the support for you to be able to go inside yourself and from a space of experiencing yourself as conscious, active, present love, changing every energetic pattern in your mind that's not based in love. That's the work we're here to do. So that's basically the direction we want to go, and I wonder before I go on with anything else, we've got a question from the app, but I wonder if anyone has any thoughts or questions about that uh, block of information. Does that make sense for everybody, and does it bring anything up for you? You have a hand up. Great. Let's say hello. Okay. It is Susan610. You're on the air. Hi. Welcome, dear heart. Well, uh, every uh, you kept going, Michael, and so I wrote down five things that you triggered. <laughs> oh, go for it. All right. Hey, I'm doing my job today. <laughs> well, you said, you reminded us, you've said this many times. If you've been on the radio show at all, you hear the story about the, in the beginning it was the word. No, it wasn't the word. It was the mind energy. And I told my support group what you had said about that and where it came from, and my genius, amazing old guy who lives in our, right. in our group said, first of all, the, fifth, the vibration of God, the presence of God is, a, is the fifth dimension. Now, I can't make anything of that, and I'm going to keep going, because he also said, in the beginning was the song. Now, I, I love that idea, but I can't do anything with it. But this is the way this guy thinks. And he right. is, he's single, he lives by himself in assisted, not assisted living, subsidized housing because he, he has very little material stuff. He never cared that much about those things. Right. But 
so he said those two things. And when I told him the Aramaic in the beginning was the mind energy, he was completely flummoxed and didn't know what to do with that. So my comment is only that he has evidently found his way to the meaning of things without using words that I have gotten familiar with. So anyway, what do you think of that? The fifth dimension. He's a scientist. So he, he's a well, physicist. I, so, yeah. Right. Go ahead. I personally don't have the brain cells for what, how the fifth dimension would operate or exactly what it is. But it makes yeah. sense to me that there's a higher vibratory realm than the one we're aware of, and we live in mm-hmm. what we call a three-dimensional world, you know, and perhaps we touch into a fourth-dimensional aspect, and then, and and it would make it would make sense when I hear him say song, and I hear mind energy or willed action. I put that together with, and I forget who it was that said that many people, you know, or, or be aware that you don't die with your song inside of you that you Uh, sing your song and so to me that would equate our original being and the expression of our purpose and and what we're going to source what our our individual purposes to source in the world to me would be our song and that to me that fits perfectly i think that would equate our essential created nature that whatever that expression looks like is going to come out in many different uh frequency forms, and one of them would be song. That makes perfect sense to me. Oh, that's lovely. Okay, good. Well, we've been, I, I told Timmy's this. I gave my little vestry presentation the other night, and it was nice. my devotion at the beginning, and it went well. I did it from my mind because I didn't want to be reading notes. And I, right. I asked uh, God to be with me when I said my words and one there was some discussion after word and right. the man who had the most immediate response was a former Roman Catholic who had loved his his relationship with the whole Catholic Church he was an altar boy he used he lived very near there so he used to clean up around the church he was dedicated to the church until he read about the abuse by priests of young boys. And he had never Mm -hmm. experienced that, but it threw him to such a loop that he left Mm -hmm. the church and was just, you know, had nowhere for a while. Now he's a member of our church, and what he brings to our church is amazing. But what he said is, I think about seeing the Christ in everyone too, seeing their innocence, their light, their goodness, that they are pure love if I can see them that way. I do try to practice that. I'm not always very good at it, but it's my intention. But he said, there is a story in the Bible that I know I wouldn't do if Jesus stood in front of me and said, give away everything you own. I wouldn't do it. First of all, if I did, somebody else would have to take care of me. I'd be out in the street begging and other people don't need that now how do you what do you have to say about that that parable was that a true translation well you'll notice that one of the things that happened at the cross was that and and what 
normally would happen at a crucifixion is they take somebody's garment and tear it to pieces and, you know, Charlie, you get a piece, Bill, to get a piece, Harry, get a piece, Mary, you know, everybody get a piece of it. It was kind of like, mm-hmm. I guess, part of their pay. But they didn't do that with Yeshua's garment. Yeshua's garment right. was a one-piece garment, which meant it was very expensive. It It was a sign of wealth. Now, I don't presumed to think it was his wealth, but he had wealthy friends. And mm-hmm. my my take was was would be that he didn't tell everybody, go and sell everything you've got and follow me. Mm-hmm. Those whose hang-up was their stuff, he said, get oh. rid of it, or you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So he, had, he didn't have one prescription fits all. That's wonderful. And and where someone's attachment, the thing that kept them locked out of being, was about their stuff, he said, you've got to get rid of it. Oh, okay. That That's would be great. my take. That's how Excellent. I would understand That's it. That's very helpful. Because this man certainly doesn't care about his stuff. <laughs> but right. he doesn't want to be a burden to anybody, and he just uses it as his platform so he can do his work. And most right. of us feel that way. In fact, that leads to another question Tim and I, and we must have asked for this, and these are our teachers. Years ago, we joined an outfit called the Box Project in Connecticut. I'm sure I've told you about it before. The deal was that you would send a box of needed items to a family in a poor area of the country. We were assigned a family in Mississippi, the father Mm -hmm. and mother. You could tell they were not in good health. They had two little girls who even as babies were obese. And I know this isn't a matter of eating too much, and it may even not be poor nutrition at all. Yeah, it's that, but it's something else. I don't think no matter what I ate, I could get that big. And yeah. I it, think well, but remember, if it's been going on for generations... It's going to be yeah. different than someone who comes from a, a bloodline that has food. If you And I've done research in this, and Mississippi is one of the, well, first of all, one of the worst pay states in the nation. It's one of Absolutely. the highest rates of maternal mortality. It's one of the mm-hmm. highest rates of infant mortality. It has the worst uh, health care system in terms of health care oh. deserts and food deserts. Mm-hmm. And if you live oh. in a food desert, you don't have a car, and the only thing you've got is the 7-Eleven that sells nothing but sugar oh. and and yeah. caffeine and junk, you know, mm-hmm. things end up pretty tragic. And And sadly, you know, 14 out of 15 states in the nation have that, those kind of statistics. And... Yeah. And their minimum wage is five dollars and twenty-five cents an hour to seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour. Yeah. And so, you know, starvation is is the game. And if one is starving, then if there's no decent food around, they're going to eat, 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 and nothing ever shuts off the apostat, and it's going to produce that kind of. Uh, of you know coming from that kind of poverty is going to produce that kind of physiological response. That would be my take, and it's definitely yeah. something that needs to be addressed. You know, and yeah. and unfortunately, if you look at the statistics, it's all red states that are doing that. You have to call the seeds. 
in place mm-hmm. by governments that lead to, you know, that kind of tragedy. Mm-hmm. It, it boggles my mind that that, that, that yeah. can be true, but if, if somebody does the research, that's where it's at. Well, I didn't mean to focus just on that. It's one of the characteristics of this family. The father and mother both died very young. The mother died at age 47 or 8. She died as a passenger in a car. Her heart stopped. She was so large that her heart just gave out. And the father lived for another 10 years, and he just died, and he was probably in his 60s, and he wasn't obese. But their house went to one of the daughters, and the other daughter has two children, probably by two fathers. The fathers aren't there. I know that's cultural. They're very devout, but that's just a cultural thing that the families don't stay intact. And what happened was we made this deal with the parents, and once a month we would send them whatever they needed, blankets, sheets, dishes, food, um, and it was a lot of work to keep up a package going out every month. But when they died, I said to the daughters, I would like to be released from this obligation now. You're on your feet. You're doing okay, and it's been wonderful, and let's stay in touch, but I don't want to do the boxes anymore. And they said, fine. But gradually, they've been coming back, asking for things. And uh, the mother, she has two children. She works as a pharmacist. She gets $12 an hour. She built her own house and has a mortgage of $89,000. She is. She got sick, and they don't pay her when she's not working. So she lost the ability to pay some bills. So over the past three or four months, Tim and I have been covering her bills, and they haven't been, it's been a lot. And I said to her, we don't want to keep this up. I'm careful about my language. I don't say we can't because we could. I don't want right. to do this. And yep, I, I don't... I'm, uh, and I, uh, so I called my daughter, who's got a lot of connections with housing efforts, because she's the dean of the cathedral in Jacksonville. They, the cathedral actually just um, created a huge uh, housing uh, complex for homeless, but it's mixed, so they'll, it's not like a ghetto. Anybody can live right. there. Um, and I called her and I said, could you help us with Michael? And also, I've got this other issue now. And she said, there are scholarships available. And Tim has been put as trustee of something called the MC Scholarship. And what my, he's given our kids the capacity to decide from year to year where this scholarship goes. It goes to different institutions that they like, provides scholarships for kids. And my daughter said, what about the MC scholarship? Why don't Jonathan and I give the kids, have them get into a technical school, the kids are 21 and 16, get them into technical school on these scholarships. If they can get in, we'll, we'll pay the tuition and get them, it's like teaching a person to fish, you know, that whole thing. Right, of Teach, course, right, exactly. That's, yeah. that's a long-term, Jonathan hasn't agreed yet, I haven't heard. Catherine's very happy to do that. I would love to suggest that to them because I think they're going to feel abandoned if we don't 
help somehow. But meanwhile, right, we're right. something, but we're sent, they have no food. They, they don't even have food at this point. So we're sending them grocery money, but it's, it's not enough to cover the mortgage. She says she's going to lose the house. My question is, I know that's too many details. Here's Michael, and here's this family down south. Tim and I are in this, and we got ourselves into this, and we have to take responsibility for this. What the heck are we doing? And yet it's like the guy who has his stuff. We've got stuff. We should be sharing it. So I'm going back and forth. Is what is the right thing to do here? How can we really help? And we've been vigorously looking for housing for Michael, and things aren't panning out really hard when he has so little. Anyway, I, I don't know what my question is. How did I get into this is my question. It's my responsibility. Something happened. Okay, I'll stop talking. Well, what I hear is you're in process around what's going on in the world around you in terms of poverty and suffering. And it, it, it sounds like you're perhaps at a point of some confusion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a sign of the healing process. That's one of the symptoms of healing. And I know that you're doing your work on an ongoing basis, so you're probably processing through some some layers, some parts of your own mind that you need to uh, to get clarity on. And I suspect when you complete that, you'll just have simple, total clarity on what your choices are going to be in in both of those arenas. That's good. Uh, Tim Hayes has been reading Way of Mastery and. Always and always and always we are to take responsibility for our choices and how we feel about things. Watch the feelings because the feelings lead will tell you the truth about a situation. And in both cases, I not necessarily go right into. Okay, speak. Not necessarily. Your 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 feelings. Your or I assume you're talking about your emotions. Your emotions. Yeah will tell you about the mind energy with which you're creating your life. Uh-huh. They won't necessarily tell you about actuality and therefore what's right or not right. But they'll accurately show you what your thoughts are or the quality oh, of your yeah. thoughts relative to right. your creative process. And if you well, find those emotions are based in some form of hostility or fear, then back to the drawing board. What do I need to forgive in order to free myself of that and get back on track with love? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what's happening. That tightening in the chest, that goal that you need to there is, yeah, you should do this, you should do that. You've got to help yourself. You've got to... Grab hold. Don't depend on other people. All these things are going on. Meanwhile, I'm saying, ah, breathe has to be shown. Breathe has to be shown. It's very messy, Michael. 
Well, you know, there's an old saying that says to a simple mind, the truth is simple. To a complex mind, the truth is complex. If the truth is messy, then the mind is probably messy, and there's a little work to be done. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. And perhaps one of those pieces of work, I hear the hesitancy around proclaiming that you're complete with your obligation there, perhaps some work around over-responsibility for what's going on in the world. How could you have over-responsibility considering what's going on in the world? Well, you could be trying to take responsibility for something that is not your responsibility. I had a friend once who used to do theater lighting for me when we were touring around. And he did it for free for right. me. He just he taught at Yale Repertory Theater, but he, he was a lighting professor there, teaching students how right. to do the lighting. He was a member of our parish, and he saw that I was touring around these little ch- children's operas and chancel operas, and he said, let me help. And he never <clears> charged <throat> a penny. And I said, how do you do this? How do you know who to give to? And it isn't even as if I asked him. I was going to hire him. But he said, when a person crosses my path and they ask for something, I give it. (laughs) What an amazing man. But sort of that was the way he operated. And I I guess I thought I should do the same. Both these people came to us. We didn't look for them. Right. So if your sense of obligation comes with some sort of resistance, I'd suggest there's some work to be done there. There sure is, Michael. Yeah. And that work I would offer is working through over-responsibility. Okay. Now, the fact is that I think that the latest numbers say something like 60% of Americans today, if they had an, a $300 emergency, could not meet that emergency. That's it. Of course, wouldn't, wouldn't we all like to alleviate that? But if I said, well, I, I have to alleviate that for 60% of Americans, that's about 180 million people, I'd be stepping into some over-responsibility. Yeah. Well, the difference there is you couldn't do it either. That's right. Tim and I can do this. And it sounds like some part of you says you're finished with that. And that's not a healthy part. Is it guilt? Is it guilt that pulls you back in? Yeah sense of responsibility, guilt, the fact that if everybody were able in some way to help, we would have a lot less starvation and illness and so forth. And, Absolutely. You know, I on with a, you 100%. Well, there is a lot to do, and, and I don't need to keep the whole radio show. <laughs> I mean, yes, I do. I always do. 
but I hear you over responsibility. Maybe a couple of worksheets to just see what that shows you. See if it uh, if it brings something up that's uh, that's worth processing through. Okay, done a lot, but maybe I haven't done it with the right wording or something. Need to do some more. Well, we'll be holding the space. Thanks. All right. Any other thoughts for you today? No, that's good. Thanks a lot, Michael. All right. We appreciate you. Lots of love. Blessings. Thanks. We do have another hand, right, but Jeannie. let's answer the question from the app, and then we'll go to the next one. Right. Okay. Okay. So um, a gentleman named David asks or says, <laughs> I offended my girlfriend. And she is annoyed with me, and she doesn't want to listen to me. So, what should I do to gain her love back? Well, David, uh, my offering would be that um, there is a mountain of communication within that simple sentence. And you know, when I started the show out talking about language and the language that we've been brainwashed into and the way we've been taught to believe that's so far out of harmony with the truth. So my, my you know, we could, I can see about oh, probably at least six issues in, in your statement. First of all, the belief that you've offended somebody is false. No one in the world can be offended unless their mind holds a structure, a perceptual structure called offense. And if their mind holds a perceptual structure called offense, then you or I or anybody who happens to say a word that violates the goals that they hold, that person's going to have a construct in their mind called offense come up. So my offering would be, first of all, you've never offended her. And then you say that she is annoyed with you. Well, I'd offer she's not annoyed with you, but she has annoyance, and you happen to be the person today that brings it up. I bet we could, you know, have a conversation with her. We'd find that last week it was somebody else, and the week before, and the month before, and six months ago, and two years ago, and 20 years ago. She had somebody who offended her and someone who annoyed her. So the first order of business would be for you, I would offer, to look at places where you've been offended, places where you've been annoyed, and perhaps apply the forgiveness worksheet and work through some of that. As you work through it, you'll tend to change the energy in the interaction with her, and you might find that she'll start to own if you clean that energy up in you, then she'll perhaps start to own the parts of her that are experiencing offense and the parts of her that are projecting annoyance on you. And you may find that that disappears from your relationship and your relationship strengthens as a result. But as long as you believe that you've offended and you buy into the, that you're the cause of her annoyance, that's going to be a tough thing to work through. So I'd say some worksheets in those two arenas for you. 
and then she doesn't want to listen to me. I, when, it, when you follow that up with, and so what should I do to gain back her love? What I hear is that her not listening to you equates to she doesn't love you. And again, you know, there's a whole language shift that needs to occur because, well, she's never loved you, or doesn't you say she doesn't love you? Um, you don't love her, and you never have, and you never will, and she never has, and she never will. Because love isn't something we do. Love is something that we are. And we can't take that experience away from each other. So when I come back to the experience of myself as love, I have a whole different interaction with the people around me. Now, you don't give us much information about the nature of offense that came up for her or what the behavior was, I assume it was something you said to her by the fact that you say she doesn't want to listen, and then that you equate her not wanting to listen to you as a loss of her love. My suggestion would be that you strive to forgive from yourself anything that has to do with being rejected and as you come into the experience of yourself as love, you're not going to be reliant on someone else approving of you, whatever it is that you say, seeing as how you're saying she doesn't listen to you, but you'll simply experience yourself as the presence of love. And when you do, the tendency will be if you show up in that conflicted situation as conscious, active, present love, then the offense and annoyance in her, in the presence of your conscious, active, present love, you're standing there as the space of conscious, active, present love, will tend to begin to dissolve that offense and annoyance in her. Doing so will also tend to soften your language, which will probably make it easier for her to listen to you. And as you return to the state of active love, energetically that will tend to create a space which energetically invites her to show up as active present love and all of a sudden, things that were a big issue yesterday will tend to disappear. Without more details, or, you know, if you're on the show now, uh, it would be awesome if you push one, or if you're listening on one of those stations where we can't see you, if you call into the show, the number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, push one. Let's have a conversation and get some more uh, refinements. You know, it's a pretty uh, limited statement that you've made in terms of me supporting you. Uh, but if we could have a conversation, we could perhaps expand that support and get more specific. So we'll hold the space that if you're listening that you'll dial into the go show or you're already on the show, push one. That'll put a hand up in the control panel and Jean will, will know that you want to talk to us. Again, the call-in number, if you're on a station where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. 
Thanks, Miss Jeannie. If there's no hand that goes up immediately, do you have any other thoughts to offer, David? Um, no, you hit it really well. And I'm sending him the link to listen to the show. So, But we do have a hand up, but it's not him. Cool. Let's say hello. It is Miss Talinda, 541. You're on the air. Good morning. Oh, it's afternoon. Good morning. Welcome, young lady. Well, I just had some thoughts about what Susan shared with, and um, she talked about this gentleman who talked about the fifth dimension and the song of the fifth dimension. And it reminds me, I read a book by Neil Douglas Cox, and in it he talks about, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, right, in the Lord's Prayer. And he said his perception, uh, his understanding of that was the the kingdom, or what I would call the kingdom, queendom, is the reigning vision of the creator. And it's I, the I can of the cosmos, um, reawakening that within me, that I'm already in the kingdom, queendom. I don't have to go running off looking for it that the power was like the of the cosmos. And this is the part that I was thinking of for um, Susan, that the reigning principles are the song of the cosmos. And it's interesting that, and I thought that was a particularly beautiful way of presenting it, um, the song of the cosmos. And I was thinking about the chakra system, and the fifth chakra is the will, the uh, throat area and so I was thinking in fact the eastern tradi- traditions who rely on the chakra system as part of their truth um, say that there are probably seven dimensions or more we have no clue but I thought that I just thought I'd share that with you okay very and cool and then uh, when you were she was responsibility for all the poverty in the world. I was so it sounds grateful. it sounds Celinda. Celinda? Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're yeah. moving around a lot and your voice is coming in and out and we're losing some of your oh. words. If you could be a little steadier on the microphone we'd be able to keep up with you easier. Okay, cool. Um and I realized I was so grateful that your voice is almost gone time. now. Wait a minute. That's why Michael I had the volume down, didn't realize it. Okay, is this any better? Seems to be. Oh, good. I was just um, saying that I'm so thankful that I spent the years I did in the 12-step programs because one of the expressions that I really learned about was over-responsibility and the um, result of over-responsibility, which was just as... um, uh, unhealthful as uh, irresponsibility. And uh, there was an expression they had on a little bookmark, and the expressions were neither condoning nor condemning, neither enabling or enforcing, neither interceding nor interfering. And I just, that was especially helpful for me. I'm still sorting through which side I'm tending to be on, judgment or enabling. And so I thought I'd share that if that's helpful at all. 
All right, young lady. Thank you. You're so welcome. All right. Hope your days are blessed. And yours as well. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, Miss Jean, we're down to about eight, seven or eight minutes. Do we have anybody else in the chat room or anything else happening in the phone queue? No, it's all quiet here. Several people listening, but no, no their hands up. Do we have time for a quick question? Press 1. So if you're out there in listener land, what's on your mind? How can we support you? Call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if you dial that number, that will put you in queue. And if you have a question or a thought for us, then... We'll have a conversation. Otherwise, I, I, you know, I was listening to a video this morning that I found to be quite interesting, and it was a medical doctor, William W. Lee, L.I., who is a cancer researcher, and so much of what he had to say just took us took me right back to our food program at Heartland. And that uh, when people would come to Heartland, we'd do a total fresh and raw program. And this gentleman is a, you know, a high-level researcher in the arena of cancer. And he is the strongest voice yet I've heard of. Let medicine, you know, Hippocrates, let medicine, let your food be your medicine and medicine be your food. And as a cancer researcher, what he's done and what he spoke about, if you look up, uh, let's see if I've got the title of his YouTube uh, video, it was really worth listening to. Starving Cancer, colon, the title of it, Starving Cancer, colon, a surprising treatment to reverse aging and prevent disease. Dr. William Lee, really excellent. And this is a guy who works in the laboratory, and what he's done when he started to look at, you know, the fact that drugs just were treatment, that they really weren't about healing, he started to run the same kinds of experiments on foods that he'd run on drugs in in terms of cancer. And he's identified many foods that are far more powerful than any of the cancer treatments, the chemical, you know, drug treatments that they've got. He was like, right straight up front, I put this in a Petri dish with cancer cells, and this did better than our best drug. And it's food, and it doesn't create side effects. And when I look at, you know, over the years, you know, what have we got, 30, oh, dear, 37, 38 years of doing intensives where when people come and do an intensive, you know, when they arrive at Heartland, they've seen the last for the time period that they're at Heartland, the last of the sugar, the last of the caffeine, the last of the partial foods, the last of cooked foods. They'll see everything that they'll be served will be properly combined, fresh and raw food ingredients, as many organic as we can possibly get. And his whole talk was like, 
This is where healing happens. It's not about treatment. It's about healing. And so I just invite everybody to, uh, to tune into that um, YouTube video. The, it's got a picture of him on it, and it, um, the quote on the, the video portion of it is, this food repairs your DNA. Again, Dr. William Lee, starving cancer, a surprising treatment to reverse aging and prevent disease. Strongest voice I've ever seen. Uh, you know, he could be a, a naturopathic friend, <laughs> the way that he's coming at uh, this food thing, and he's doing it right straight out of the experimental laboratory and showing, you know, here's a cancer cell, here's what our drug does to it, boom, here's what allergic acid from strawberries do to it. Bingo, angiogenesis, and it's anti-angiogenesis, and, you know, cancer can't grow without a blood supply. I mean, it's just a really powerful uh, presentation that he does, and I haven't gone beyond that. It just, uh, I just accidentally came across it, and it looked interesting, uh, but he sounds like he's pretty much in a similar arena to ours. He says, you know, come, come to my YouTube channel. You know, watch. I'm out there to put it out as far and as wide as I can. So uh, I plan to spend more time listening to what he has to say as someone who's been in the laboratory and, you know, has a verification for what we've known for years. You know, we've we've watched people, the average person over the years who comes to Artland and does a, a nine-day intensive, takes off anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds, um, they sleep better. They're, they're just the effects are just monumental and an important part of the healing process. If you're doing the forgiveness work, if you're doing worksheets, I'm going to invite you to look at what you're doing with your food program. And if you're not doing something about food, then I invite you to start. We do have the book available in our catalog called Recipes which is a, a really a transcription of just so many of Ari's, Chef Ari's recipes over the years. Bless Ari's heart that he's gone. But, you know, I'd invite you to do that. And we do have a private Facebook page and a recipe book that puts a whole 14-week uh, program together of three meals a day of fresh and raw food. Not that you have to do that but to at least move in the direction of doing something that is more food-friendly where you're actually eating food rather than the garbage of the culture. He makes a point that uh, the energetic patterns in the traditionally, or pardon me, in, in uh, commercial farming and the difference that they make in the lab with uh, diseases and organic food is monumental night and day. You know, just so much verification across the board. So we'll, uh, I'll just leave that thought with you. Hope it serves and hope we have served you today. And we hope that you have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.